It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's are sleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. address that here in just a moment. Welcome. It is one of the things that uh, you might not realize, because, uh, well, I guess you're not me, is this. It is such a privilege and an honor to share Resurrection Sunday with all of you. You have no idea what that means uh, to little old me. Uh, you, you, ju- you just don't, that God would choose somebody like me, a middle school PE teacher, 
ultimately to share Jesus Christ with you this morning. It's incredible. So, so that being said, it is Resurrection Sunday, amen? Oh my goodness, what a great Sunday. We are so glad that you've chosen to spend this Sunday here with us, whether you're in person or live online. Don, I know you're watching, uh, and one of our elders is in, in rehab right now, and he's watching us online, so if you ever want to, just turn around and wave to him. Hi, Don, you know, he would love it. He would absolutely love it. We get to celebrate the victory of our Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, his victory over the power of sin and death in this world. And this love, this victory can be yours if you choose him. Jesus has already done all the heavy lifting, folks. All of it. We just have to decide. Will we accept his love? Will we accept his forgiveness? Will we accept his grace and his mercy? Do you want to spend eternity with our Savior in heaven? He died so that you could. Now, I know that sounds kind of like the end, but you know what? We're only just getting started. So here's the thing. I want to begin with this. Next week, we're going to start a really short series, which I am really excited about because we're going to completely be partnered up with our kids' ministry downstairs. We're going to be studying the same passages, the same stories that they're studying. What a great opportunity for us parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, whoever, to be able to interact with our kids and say, hey, what did you learn? Hey, that's what we learned upstairs. And be able to compare notes with them. It is an awesome, awesome thing that we get to share in with. And the topic, perfect. It's literally going to be just what happened right after the resurrection. So if you would, if you can, join us for that because it's going to be a great moment of the connection with us and our kids. And if you don't have kids downstairs, that's okay. Please come and join us anyway. I also wanted to just mention last week, if you were able to join us last week, what a great week it was to share with our our brother in Christ from Jerusalem, ultimately, okay, who believes in the same Jesus we do and allowed us to peek behind the curtain of the Jewish veil just a little and hear about the Passover feast and how in God's amazing, intricate planning of this universe, something that he planned and designed strictly for that Hebrew nation as they left Egypt Actually, all it was was a direct pointing right to his son and ultimately what Jesus would accomplish. If you weren't with us last week, please hop on our website and watch that presentation last week, Christ in the Passover. It was a fascinating study that maybe you'd never heard before, and it would be interesting for you to watch. All right, Before we dive in to the final, the end of the last week of Jesus, let's open in prayer. Father God, it is truly a blessing to be able to be in this house this morning with your faithful followers, Father, those that have known you so long, those that have just come to know you, and even, Father, those that are just exploring. Father, maybe someone that's watching today or here today that didn't even really want to be here today, but you got them here today for a purpose. There's something you wanted them to hear. There's something you wanted them to experience, and I just pray that your spirit moves in a mighty way in everyone's heart this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We began this all a few weeks ago with that triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He rides in victorious, only to have himself be betrayed, ultimately defeated and murdered, killed, at least so they thought. Prior to this event that we're going to talk about today, Jesus had continued on his mission. He says in John 12, 27, he said, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. Notice, for this hour, this reason that I came Jesus was very deeply troubled in this moment. The fact that this is why he came doesn't lessen the betrayal, the pain, the suffering, the illegality of everything that happened to arrange Jesus' death. If you've never studied everything that went on illegally, 
in order to figure out how to persecute and ultimately try and kill Jesus. You really should, especially if you really enjoy being frustrated and bothered and irritated and ultimately angry when things are so unfair and so unjust, because that's ultimately what happens. Who knows? Maybe we'll do a short study on that one year in the future Easter to come. For now, here's a very, very quick recap of what happened. He was arrested through a bribe, aka blood money. That was against Jewish law. He was arrested without charge. They just took him in the garden. There was no, tri- no charges at all put upon him. He was arrested in the trials. The trials could not be held at night, nor could they be held on a feast day. Well, guess what? It was both. They used the physical force to try to intimidate Jesus, try to make him confess, if you will. That was absolutely incorrect in the Jewish way of doing things. False witnesses offered conflicting terrorist testimonies, which should have dismissed everyone's testimony. And oh, by the way, those witnesses weren't supposed to hear each other's testimonies. All of this was illegal. He was asked to incriminate himself. That's not right, even in our court of law. Jesus wasn't given an opportunity to cross-examine those eyewitnesses either. The high priest never asked for a vote from the legal ruling body, the Sanhedrin, to actually try and convict Jesus. He was charged with blasphemy and temple violation in the Jewish trial. But then when they transferred over to the civil trial, they dropped those charges and they said that he was claiming to be king, causing disturbances and refusing to pay taxes to Caesar. And that's just a brief overview of everything that happened illegally to convict our Jesus. Just like most government operations today, everything was completely on the up and up, even in Jewish times. Yeah, I said it. One of the things that has always struck me about this particular scene is ultimately the way that it all ended. It's kind of a shocking amazement. It's not a positive. Jesus, the Messiah, born of a virgin, raised a hard-working Jewish carpenter, would have been educated in the Jewish faith, but for some reason he seemed to have a supernatural understanding and knowledge of God. I wonder why. <laughs> it's not too hard to figure out. Jesus, who began his ministry at age 30, he selected this seemingly random, unqualified group of men to follow him, a group that really didn't catch on to things all that quickly, and definitely a group who weren't all in it for quite the right reasons, yet they stuck with Jesus, and more importantly, Jesus stuck with them. He never kicked them out of the group. I'm going to take a momentary side road from the last week of Jesus to let you know how much that means to me. Think for yourself what you believe. Jesus never asked any of these men, including Judas, to leave the group. In spite of everything that they did wrong, all the times that they failed him, all the times they didn't understand what Jesus was telling him, all the arguments they had about who was the greatest amongst themselves, Jesus looked at them and he loved them. He didn't look at who they were in those moments of failure. Instead, he knew who they could become if they remain in him. And you know what? (laughs) My Jesus does the exact same thing with me today. He looks at us right now as we are, and he loves us. He knows we're not perfect, and he's okay with that. He knows that we're messed up, and we're going to mess up again, and he longs to forgive us. He knows that we are struggling and what we are struggling with specifically, and he wants to help. He created us, and he knows what's best for us. He has our best interests in mind always. He knows our weaknesses, and he wants to be the one to fill in those gaps with his 
presence. He knows the gifts and the abilities that he has given us. And he wants us to use those gifts and those abilities to bring glory and honor to him and to lead others into his presence in a relationship ultimately with him. That is our Jesus. That is who we are celebrating today. He has not and he will not ever change. And all of this is only possible because of today, Resurrection Sunday. But not just today. Every time we gather, if you're a believer, then the reality that we celebrate today should be so close to the front of your mind and the front of your heart that every day we should give God praise and glory and honor for this incredible gift that he has given us. I apologize for that side road. It has nothing to do with the last week of Jesus, but it's just too important not to share it with you today. Back to the last week. Why is this so puzzling to me? Well, Jesus had led all of these ministries all over Israel. He'd been everywhere. He'd healed nearly every single type of physical ailment known to man. He taught on an extensive list of issues. He taught on things that were incredibly practical and down to earth. And everything that he taught was either confirmed or further, or it was either he either confirmed or he further explained the Jewish Old Testament scriptures, God's word as we know it today. This, as with any upstart person that rises to a position of influence outside of the traditional paths or accepted paths, Jesus' story is no different. He was strongly disliked by those in those positions of leadership. I think it's safe to say that they hated him because ultimately they are the ones that led to his execution. While it seems like the local leaders, maybe the ones closest to the people, seem to understood a little bit more about Jesus and who he was. They all ask questions, but very few ask questions in hopes of actually gaining any knowledge. Their only purpose was to, to try to trip up Jesus, try to make him make a mistake in his words, somehow contradicting or truthfully blaspheming things. Either way, for all of these incredible things to happen, for his teachings to be truly undeniable, unquestionable, 100% true, as well as 100% in agreement with the Old Testament scriptures. For the masses to so support him while their leadership is so against him is just fascinating to me. They seem to see things completely differently. But then you see those same people that were in all support of Jesus completely turn on him or abandon him because he wasn't who they thought he should be. We even see his closest friends, all but one, deny him and run away. To see a man that had truly never, ever, ever done anything wrong, never physically harmed another human being, never stolen anything, never truthfully broken the Jewish law or the Roman law. In fact, he fully accepted and embraced both. To see someone like that go through the beatings, through the ridicule, and ultimately the death that he suffered seems more than just unjust. It's astonishing. Now, if you've been a believer for a long time, and I know many of you have, it is possible that you can get to a point where you kind of take for granted what Jesus did. Honestly, it's possible, and I've heard it said, where you get to the point where you really just don't want to hear it again. It kind of becomes white noise. Like, yeah, I, I know Jesus did that for me. Yeah, I get it. I'm glad that he did. It was terrible. It was awful. Can we just move on already? Isn't there something else we could teach? Isn't there something else we could discuss? And, and I just want to be really honest and challenge you with something today. 
If you've ever thought of that, if you've really ever had the thought of, you know, I don't really want to go to church today because I don't really want to hear that story again, um, I want to challenge you to confess before your heavenly Father and repent of your sin because that absolutely is completely sinful and God longs to forgive you because the absolute incredible nature of what God did through sending his son to us and what Jesus did willingly for me and for you is something that we will never, ever, ever be able to fully understand this side of heaven. And to discount it or to not want to hear it again is beyond disrespectful. (laughs) It's incredible. We have to be giving thanks to Jesus for his indescribable gift each and every day. Today's message is based on the hope the hope that we find in this resurrection, the power of that empty tomb. But before we get there, there's a little day in the middle called Saturday. And it's always worth remembering the hopelessness that existed on Saturday. We are living in a world where those final words of Jesus' teachings are now heading our way for sure. John 15, verse 18 is where it begins. Jesus tells us that if the world hates you, Keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoke to them, they wouldn't be guilty of their sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done the works among them no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me for no reason. This is the world that the disciples now existed in on Saturday. After Jesus' death, all hope in their world was lost. They knew that their names were next on the list. Would those that executed their Jesus come for them next to make an example of them? At that point, would the leaders hate them? Absolutely, they would. Why? Simply because they had an association with Jesus and they had spent time with them. If, if they continued, if they choose to continue to share this ministry and this message of Jesus, and there will be a permanent target on those individuals' backs for sure. And on Saturday, they had to wonder if there was even a point to sharing that message. Jesus was gone. His ministry was over. Only one, or sorry, only just a few, few, few of his followers were even left gathered together at all. And none of these followers had the confidence or the knowledge or the ability to continue his mission all by themselves. So what would they do? Well, in our modern world, it's a lot the same. It's going to be a lot the same for you and I, believers. If we willingly head out of these doors and we proclaim the name of Jesus and his truths in this world, the Spirit will absolutely convict those that hear our message. And he will convict them. They will be guilty of their sin at that point in time. Some will repent, absolutely. The Spirit is still alive and moving and will cause that. But others others will hate us all the more. There's nothing we can do about that. They'll double down on their efforts to eliminate our voice from whatever public square we attempt to cry in. The Spirit of God alone will show them they're wrong. And they are either going to acknowledge their sin and turn to God, or they're going to rebel against the Spirit. 
Here's the problem for us. That rebellion, well, it can become a little problematic for us. What are we going to do? Now, we have no record of what actually happened on that Saturday. Not a single word is spoken in Scripture. There's probably lots of reasons for that. What we do know is that Mary and and some of Jesus' other disciples, closest friends, probably did gather together. Most speculate that they hid for fear of their lives. They gathered to support and encourage one another. What is hard for us to wrap our minds around is the reality of what they were genuinely dealing with. You see, from their perspective, it was over. They weren't looking forward to tomorrow. There was no hope in Jesus raising himself from the dead. You see, they weren't able to fully understand the words of Jesus. Yes, he did tell them that in three days, but they never understood that. They never understood that their Savior was going to go through a physical, horrific death. And even though they saw Lazarus come out of that tomb four days after his death, they didn't understand that Jesus could bring himself back from the grave. So the silence of scriptures on that Saturday truly are deafening for us that want to know. What were they thinking? What were they doing? From our perspective, at least from mine, when Easter starts coming around and I hear that story once again, I'm excited. I am jacked up for Sunday because I know what's coming. Sunday's coming. We just watched that video. That's an old devotional by a pastor named S.M. Lockridge. Now, I'm one of those people that always is curious, so what did the S.M. stand for? No joke. His name was Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. Now you know why he went by S.M. Exactly. You know what his parents believed, though. I don't think there was any chance in him ever straying from the faith, right? But here's the thing. Could you hear the excitement building? As every element was added, each moment of pain, each moment of sorrow, each moment of discouragement was followed with that tagline, Sunday's coming. And Pastor Lockridge reminds us that those that were living through that Saturday, that Friday night, did not know that Sunday was on the way. They did not know that their leader, their Messiah, their King, their Savior would soon be standing in the very same room right there with them eating a piece of fish. But we do. Do we live like Sunday is here now? Church, are we living like Jesus has resurrected from the grave? Like it really, really happened? Those of you guys that have been here for a while know I'm always challenging you to read scriptures. But when you read them, to read them as if it's your story, as if you're in the story, as if you're part of the scene, try to imagine what it was like to be there in that moment. Try to imagine. It's hard to remove your knowledge of what's happened and the outcomes and all those kinds of things, unless maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you're just hearing this whole story for the first time, and you can imagine being there after you've seen your leader die and be put in the grave, and now you're wondering what on earth to do. If it's possible to imagine this morning, pick a character. Pick a character from the scene on Sunday morning that you can identify with. Maybe it's Mary, one of Jesus' closest followers, a woman he had healed fully and restored completely. She fully believed, and often you found Mary at the feet of Jesus, right along his disciples, learning from the master teacher. Maybe you can imagine her loss when her Jesus died. Maybe you can imagine being Mary, the mother of Jesus. Maybe you've lost a child, 
the one chosen to give birth to and raise up the Son of God. Now she has to see all of this come to an end. She had to desperately be searching for how on earth could this have been God's plan? Is this what that angel was telling me and Joseph so many years ago? Surely, not surely there's more to the story. Maybe you can take on the role of John, the only friend that stood by him to the very end, who, who now Jesus has left to take charge of his own mother. Wondering to yourself, am I supposed to continue on this ministry alone? How could I possibly do this? Or maybe it's Peter. Maybe you've completely betrayed Jesus yourself. Peter was a man who maybe couldn't have understood how much his Jesus actually loved him. And there's no way he could understand that, that Jesus had taught him more than he could ever could have learned ever in his lifetime who believed that I, Peter, could become this incredible leader. Look at me, I can't even stand up for you in the simplest of situations. Now you're left with the guilt of betrayal and guilt of sorrow and a one-way ticket back to the family fishing boat in Galilee. There was nothing that indicated that this Sunday was going to be any different than Saturday. Jesus was gone. A group of women set out to make that official to officially bury the body of Christ. It begins in Mark 16, verse 2. Very early on the first day of the week after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. They went in, Luke 24, verse 3. They didn't find a body of the Lord Jesus. This wasn't good news. While they were wandering about, they suddenly two men in clothes gleaming like lightning stood beside them. Now, I want you to imagine here for a moment, there's a little detail I left out from Matthew that he shares with us. As these women leave the group to go to the tomb, there's this huge earthquake, random earthquake. I think that might have shaken them up just a little bit, pun intended. It's true. You're worried about how, when you get there, you're even going to get to the body because there's no way any of you are capable of moving this huge stone. You get there. You see the stone's already been moved. Your interest is peaked for sure. But then you peek in the tomb and there's no body. Again, this was not good news for those ladies. It made things worse because it added insult to injury. They were coming to pay their last respects, one last moment of devotion and honor to their Lord and Savior, and there was no one there. But then to their surprise, a couple of glowing men show up. And they responded the way every other person in all of history of Scripture respond. When an angel shows up, they fall on their face. Luke 24, verse 3. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead, ladies? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified on the third day to be raised again. Then they remembered his words. <laughs> Their eyes had just been opened. We, we studied that last fall as we asked God every time we opened Scripture to reveal to us what he would have us see. That's what happened to these women. Their minds have been opened. So many truths of Jesus that he spoke People were unable to understand until he allowed them to. And it's no different today. At this moment, they were enlightened. The literal light bulb flipped on. I get it. 
He's alive. I love what the angels added next because they were so excited. They were rejoicing. They were happy. They were confused. They didn't know what was going on. They were so excited. So the angels look at them and go, hey, um, yeah, quit it. Uh, get to work. Go quickly. Get out of here. Go tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. And you got to go ahead of them. He's in Galilee. He'll meet you there. You'll see him. Now I've told you. Matthew 28, 7. Matthew and Mark both record that the women weren't quite sure what to do with that information. They were filled with so much joy and overcome in the moment. They were confused. They were trembling. So they eventually, oh, we're supposed to go back. Okay, we'll go tell them. So they run back. They go and tell the disciples this unbelievable news. They don't talk to anyone on the way. When they get to the door, they share this with the disciples, and the disciples promptly don't believe them. Their expression, their reaction to the news leaves a little bit to be desired. Luke 24, 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the 11 and the others that had gathered. It was Mary Magdalene, Johanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others were with them who told the apostles, but they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Ladies, you're crazy. There's no way what you're saying could possibly be true. Man, I feel for these poor women. They wake up that morning depressed, sad, just, just unimaginably. They head out to go do this last act of love for their Savior. There's a huge earthquake which terrifies them beyond all who knows what. They get there. They find the body completely gone. Then they're scared out of their minds by two glowing men called angels. They're given the most sensational news. Maybe Mary's is comparable, okay, when she found out about the Jesus thing, okay? But they're given the most sensational news that ever been received by any other human being on planet Earth, only to have the men that they were to take this news to completely reject the news. Can you imagine the defeat and disappointment of those women? Now, this scene isn't over, of course. Peter and John are like, uh, you're crazy, but we're curious. So they take off running to go see what's there. When they get there, Peter rushes in, finds the tomb completely empty. Jesus' body gone, the clothes neatly folded up. It says that John saw and believed, but that Peter walked away wondering what on earth happened. This is one of those moments I so wish I could be right behind them walking back together with everyone else and to hear that conversation between Peter and John. And John goes, remember, he told us. And Peter's like, yeah, but is that what? And they just have this debate back and forth. And in Peter's mind, he's still kicking around. I denied this guy. He didn't come back for me. Like, he doesn't want anything to do with me. And so he probably doesn't want to believe that he came back because he's so concerned about how Jesus might react to, to Peter. Oh, to be a part of that conversation. To be honest, it could have all ended right there. God could have put a cap on the scriptures right there and said, you know what, that's enough for the narrative. By faith, you go. Jesus is gone. The disciples and the women believe. They start telling everyone about this miracle that has occurred. The teachings and the prophecy of Jesus has now made about his, his resurrection and his death have now come true. But the story doesn't end there, does it? It does not. Jesus didn't just vanish. He showed up live and in person once again. First to Mary, the one who in her distress couldn't even recognize her Lord and Savior standing right before her. But when she did, she grabbed on and would not let go. <laughs> she physically was able to touch that dead man, brought back to life. He allowed himself to be seen by the other woman, Matthew 28, 9. He even spent time talking and eating with two men who had been in Jerusalem and were on their way home. All of this happened within the same day, and at this point, he still hasn't appeared 
to his disciples. I think he was testing them just a little bit. It's not until that night, with the door locked for fear of their life, that Jesus mysteriously appears in the middle of the room. Listen to the description. It comes from Mark, from Luke, and from a bit of John. In Luke 24, verse 36, while they were still talking, the disciples and those that had gathered, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Yeah, it scared them. Mark adds they were eating dinner at that moment and that Jesus sharply rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe all the people that have told him that Jesus is alive. They were startled. They were frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. But Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why are there doubts in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe, it was one of those unbelievable moments. They were so full of joy, they still didn't fully believe. He asked them, do you have anything to eat? That's when they gave him a piece of fish and he ate in their presence. That's not normal for dead people to do, in case you ever wondered. John adds another incredible element from that night, and it's a very mysterious element, because if you've followed it, if you know, then in about 50 days, Pentecost comes, and it's that moment that the Spirit fully invades these men. But at this point in time, Jesus says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent you, or sent me, I am now sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgive them. I, my opinion is Jesus is prepping them. He's opened their hearts and minds and souls now to receive the Spirit when the Spirit does come in a few days. But who knows? Who knows exactly what Jesus was referring to? There are so many more things that happen on those next few days, incredible things. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about with our kids over the next few weeks. But for now, for now, we want to leave it with the amazement, the wonder, the joy that his closest followers were experiencing. Could you imagine receiving that news? Could you imagine yourself in the scene as Jesus appears and begins conversations with you? What emotions would you be experiencing? How would you have responded? Would you have believed? We all question the disciples, how could they not believe as people told them? Well, would you? Would you have believed if somebody told you that sensational news? We know that all those that were in attendance on that day, as well as hundreds of others, ended up seeing him over the next few days and believed. But they didn't just believe. They didn't just keep their belief to themselves because within 50 days of Jesus' resurrection, that had already spread to thousands of people with 3,000 accepting our Lord and Savior as their own on one particular moment. These men and women in that room on that night believed so fully in what they experienced that they were all willing to risk their lives to share that news. It's believed all but one of them actually gave their life because of their faith. This event changed the course of humanity. And whether the earth likes it or not, it continues to shape and direct the entire world around us. Even as the attacks will come hard and heavy against the truth. It does not make the truth any less true. The truth will have an impact for all of eternity. And there is nothing, let me repeat that, there is nothing man can do to stop it. So if you don't know Jesus yet, 
If you have never heard about this event or accepted this truth, absolute truth as your own, then hey, man, today is the day. The water's sunny and warm, 84 degrees behind me. We would love, trust me, I changed it. It's 84 degrees behind me. Jesus gave his life so you could accept it. He gave his life for you. He gave his life to give you hope in this hopeless world right now. He gave his life to show you a better way, but it didn't end there. Yes, he did die, but Sunday's coming. (laughs) He rose again to prove once and for all, for God to secure all of the promises that he has made throughout this incredible book, to show you the absolute power he has over sin and death. And therefore, if you are in him, death has absolutely no power over your life. The one who created you has a plan for your life if, if, and only if you're willing to follow him. And if you've been gone from the church for a while, don't feel bad about it. That's not what God calls us to. He doesn't call us to guilt. He calls us to freedom. He's brought you to this place so you can come before him, confess your sins, and say, hey, God, I'm sorry. And he wants to fully restore you. We'll talk about Peter here in a couple weeks and what he did with him. What a blessed morning, Father God. What an opportunity we have to come before you today to remember your resurrected son, Jesus. The suffering, the pain, the anguish he went through on my behalf because of my sin. I pray that we can all make this story personal. You did not come for someone else. You came for me. And we need to spread that word. And and Father, for those of us who are believers that may be discouraged by the things happening in this world, there is no reason to be discouraged. Father, I encourage you, it comes from you, not from this world. And the news we have to share with those in this world is nothing but encouraging. We can absolutely be sad when they reject it, but that's not on us, that's on them. We just pray that your spirit moves in their hearts no matter how many times they reject our calls to faith and your spirit moving in them. We pray that the spirit gets through one day. Let us never hold that against others, just as you don't hold our guilt and shame against us. Father, we love you and we thank you for today, the day we celebrate your son's resurrection and all that it means. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.